the children are dismissed to Children's Church. Amen. Good to see all the little ones. Good to see the little ones. Amen. Well, good good morning. And if I didn't see you last week, Happy New Year. If you have your Bibles, if you would go to Second Chronicles, we're going to read a couple of background verses in the twenty eighth chapter, and then we'll settle into our text just so that we can get a feel for our background and our context. Second Chronicles, if you look at the 28th chapter and look at verse 19, and then we'll look at verse 22, give us our background of where we're headed. Verse 19, it says, The Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Dropping down to verse 22. In his time of trouble, people respond differently to trouble, don't they? In his time of trouble, King Ahaz became even more unfaithful to the Lord. And he led Israel into a time of darkness and backsliding. But then the 29th chapter, in verse 1, because the king passes and his son takes the throne. It's amazing how things can change from one generation to another. And the Bible says in the 29th chapter, verse number 1, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abihah, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and repaired them. He brought to the priests and the Levites, assembled them in the square on the east side, and said, Listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now. Consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all the defilement from the sanctuary. Our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook Him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place. They turned their backs on Him. They shut the doors of the portico. They put out the lamps. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to the God of Israel. Therefore, the anger of the Lord had fallen on Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 10, jumping down to verse 10. King Hezekiah says, now it's in my heart. I intend to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his anger will be turned away from us. My sons, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him and serve him to minister before and to burn incense. Jumping down to verse 15. And when they had assembled their brothers, they consecrated themselves and they went in to purify the temple of the Lord as the king had ordered, following the word of the Lord. I'm going to use as a title this morning, Hezekiah, an instrument of revival or a call for spiritual leadership. Now, in your devotional time, you can read the old chapter 29, 30, and 31. It's all part of the same beautiful story of the revival that is brought under this young king. Now, last week, as we began the new year, we looked at a revival from 1 Samuel, the 7th chapter, and we called it the meeting at Mizpah. 
And it was after 20 long years that people had been oppressed and discouraged till finally they had a realization that if things were going to change, they wouldn't change until they got things right with God. Amen? They, they came to that great realization. Every prodigal has to come to that realization. Every backslidden church has to come to that realization that nothing's going to change for the good until I first get things right with God. And they saw God. They saw God. And Samuel, the great prophet at the time, he entered in and he directed them that they would meet God's conditions. And as they did, they saw a beautiful revival and a reclaiming and a recovery and a beautiful time of victory and restoration over their enemies. Now this week, we're going to look and see how God uses one man to initiate and inspire a great revival and a national restoration to godliness. In some very bad times. I thank God that in the darkest of times, they don't have to stay dark. Bad times don't have to stay bad. There'll be a man or woman of God that'll stand up and be determined to be the instrument that God can use to change the tone and change the direction and bring things back where the grace and the love and the beauty of God can once more shine and work upon a life, a family, or a church. We take note this morning that God is looking and God is calling for spiritual leaders in this present hour. In a spiritual age that can be described as very casual, compromising, complacent, God is looking for men and women who will stand tall and inspire their surroundings as a motivation for godliness, as a consistent influence for wholehearted and sincere Christian living in the family. Within the family, each generation needs to have someone that says, I'll be that man or I'll be that woman. Within the church, which in the nation, God will use any person who offers himself God will use you. God will use me. God will use any believer that makes themselves available to God. That's willing to pay the price to fulfill such a role. There is no special calling. You need no special pedigree. But if anyone will say, Lord, use my life. I'll pay the price. I'll be that role model. I'll be that instigator and influence for righteousness in my family, in my surroundings. Here I am. Use me. And God will use you. And God will take your efforts and use them for great things. Many, many times in the Bible... Especially in the Old Testament, we see the Scripture saying that God is looking for a man. It's recorded, God sought or looked for a man. In Jeremiah 5 and 1, it says He looked for a man that would stand and love the truth. In an age where people were giving in to the falsehoods and the, and the compromise and doing their own thing, God says, I looked for a man that wouldn't waver when it came to truth. His Word is truth, but would be firm and consistent and strong in their standing of thus saith the Lord. In Isaiah 59, the Bible says He looked and He was displeased. In fact, He was applauded for He found no one that would intervene and intercede for the circumstances that the people were going for. He looked for a man or a woman that would see the situation and not merely just ignore it, but stand up and begin to call on God because of it and cry out to the Lord for intervention. Ezekiel 22, 
The Bible says He sought for a man that would stand in the gap, that would make up the hedge. And the imagery is of the wall that would defend the city. But there was a break in that wall. And the enemy was easily coming in through that break. And there was no man that would stand in that break and resist the enemy. In such a time of moral collapse, in a time where the gates of moral defenses are down, he looked for a man that would stand firm in the truth and stand firm in their faith and refuse to just watch things deteriorate, but would stand firm in the name of the Lord and run back the enemy in his attacks. He looked for a man and a woman that would see the condition that would stand and be stirred up by that condition and was standing in faith to revolt that condition. God is looking for a man. God is looking and calling for spiritual leaders. Your family needs spiritual leaders. It's a shame sometimes the children have to do it when the parents begin to lack, but God needs a spiritual leader. There has to be someone that says, we will honor God's house. We will live by God's Word. We will give ourselves to that which is eternal. God is looking for man in the family and in the church and in the nation, of course. Last week, we noted again that the the difference, oh, the difference, the difference one sold out man or woman of God can make. Generations and nations are affected by one life completely sold out to Jesus Christ. And this morning, God is looking for a man. God is looking for a woman that is willing and that is daring and that is decisive to serve God and not be swayed and not be moved, but be resolute in that determination and consistent in that walking out. He's looking for someone willing to obey Him, willing to respond, even at times when it's unpopular, even at times when it might be misunderstood, but like those three Hebrew children in the book of Daniel, He's looking for someone that will stand tall when others are bowing low, someone that will refuse to bow to the compromise of the age, but will stand firm and be strong, faithful to the house of God, obedient to the Word of God, wholehearted to devotion for God. Someone that would say, oh God, here I am. Send me and use me. I'll be that man. God is looking for someone that will say, Lord, I am willing and Lord, I'll be daring. I'll be daring to act. I'll be daring to trust You. I'll be daring to step out of that boat and believe Your good Word like the courage of young David who saw that giant. But unlike the others, he didn't get acclimated to the threats. He didn't cower down in fear. But he stood up and said, Oh, if God be for me, who can be against? Goliath, you shall not stand. And God says, I'm looking for someone that will confront the enemy. Someone that will deal with that adversity and stir up that complacency till it's once again on fire. God says, I'm looking for a man that is willing and daring. Someone that is decisive. I'm looking for leaders within the families, within the church, within the nation that will have a firm and resolute in their decision. Not swayed and inconsistent in their lives. The saying goes, the, 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 the Historian said evil triumphs when good men do nothing. But I'll tell you, spiritual apathy sets in when the righteous fail to be firm and resolute in carrying out the will and the call of God. We start out a year by looking at this young king who God used to bring about one of the greatest revivals in that Old Testament in the Bible. 
And God reminds us that He's looking for leaders. He's looking for those that will stand tall and influence their surroundings, their families, their churches for godliness, for Bible fidelity. And we pray God find some here. Find some here. God is looking for spiritual leaders and inspirations. Someone that is willing to set the example because someone's watching how you live. Someone that is willing to keep the standard of Bible authority and Bible governing. Someone that is willing to monitor the spiritual temperature of their home and adjust it when need be. We do so well at watching the White House, but let us first watch our own houses for the glory of God. Somebody say amen. I said God is looking for a man or a woman that will be faithful to carry out their spiritual duty. For there is a duty and a responsibility that we have that will never end until we see Him face to face. It was some of the darkest times of Judah's history. And God's heart who was broken, God's righteousness was mocked, and God was looking for a man to change it. And He found it in this young king, Hezekiah. He was that man. His father Ahaz was a wicked king. You know, you can choose to take a better path than your folks. If your folks weren't godly, you can choose to take a different path. If those around you had strayed, you don't have to follow them in their strength. Here was this young king whose father had set the spiritual temperature back into darkness. But he said, I'm not going to follow that example. I'm going to learn to live a new way. I'm going to take a new path. You might be here this morning and you might have taken a path that you shouldn't have taken. I want you to know he's a God of new beginnings and he's a God of fresh starts. And if you're willing, where you're at now doesn't have to be where you die. You can start something fresh today. You can take a new path today and God will use your life today. Hallelujah. Hezekiah, he removed the idols, restored proper worship, and encouraged the people to seek God and live for the true and the living God. Bible scholars point out that Hezekiah's revival stands out as one of the um, most sudden and unexpected moves of God within within certainly the Old Testament. A new king comes on the throne, and within two months, The whole nation is set ablaze in revival glory. Because one young king stood up and led the way. Number one, let's look at some characteristics of this leader. Let's look at some characteristics of this young man. Several godly qualities that Hezekiah had and that God is looking for today. Oh, God is looking for a man. God is looking for someone in your family. Start with your life and then go to your family. God says, don't just let, you know, nothing happens good by accident. Stand up and take the lead in your family for godliness and for God's house and for faithful service to things of God. And then be a good example and leader in your church. Be faithful. Be at your post. First characteristic we see of this young king, he was a man of tenacious purpose. He was a man of tenacious. He had a determination of purpose. Dr. Drummond writes, at last Israel had a leader who would lead. Not just be carried along with the flow of what had always been going on. 29th chapter and verse 10. How Hezekiah says, Now the Lord has put in my heart, or I intend, I intend to make a covenant with God. I intend to make a covenant with God. 
I intend to make sure that what we're going through is not the end of the story. I intend to make things right with God. I intend to get back on track with God. He makes that right. There's a deep resolve to please and to serve and to live for God and have the nation come back to righteousness and faithfulness. He had a determined purpose that was willing to obey God and put God first and foremost. And we like to call it intentional living. For we recognize it's not wishful living or accidental living, but it's intentional living that brings the blessing of God into our life and allows us to enjoy sustained growth and progress in our lives. And here this king was determined. He understood his purpose as king. His purpose as parent. His purpose as leader was to lead the people into righteousness and right living and God-fearing, bible example, living and determined to see that he would carry out his calling and his function to see the nation restored. And I pray that we might be determined in our purpose, ladies and gentlemen, to see our families saved and strong in the Lord, to see our churches on fire for the things of the Lord. To see our nation turn back to a righteous fear of the Lord. To see our marriages brought to a place of healing and wholeness in the Lord. May we be determined this day that we will be part of the solution and we will respond to the call of God, not merely to hope things work out, but to recognize for such a time as this, I still have breath to breathe, I still have a mind to think, and I will do my best to be a leader and an an inspiration and an example and an influence for righteousness. Somebody say amen. May we be a people of a determined and tenacious purpose concerning the spiritual well-being of our family and our church and our nation. But secondly, Hezekiah, second characteristic we notice is he honestly faced the reality of the situation And then became a man of action. On one hand, there was no denial that everything was great when it wasn't great. On the other hand, there was no complacency that said, ah, there's nothing we can do about it. He had both these two things working together. He faced the reality of the situation. He realized things need to be improved. Things are not the way they should be. But then he didn't just say, well, whatever it is, it is. He said, no, now I'm going to act and get the plan of God and put my faith to work to see that thing changed. One of the wonderful quotes of Winston Churchill of leadership was, before one is optimistic, one needs to be realistic. And we know that prayer, of course, is vital and foundational in all we do, but action is also necessary. Faith without practical works is a dead thing. It's a non-existent thing in the eye of God. The realization that things are not as they should be, that's the first step of the act. That's important. But then there has to be an action. If I can say things are not as they ought to be, that's wonderful that I've come to that honest evaluation. But now the question is, what will I do to see it change? God, what must I do to see it reverse? What must I do to see that which is damaged made whole? That which is laid low restored? That life which is weary made strong? We see in the third verse, chapter 29, in the first month of the first year, 
of His reign. He opened the doors to the house of the Lord and He repaired them. That's a beautiful thing. You know, some things can wait, but some things must immediately be addressed and changed. And we look at this young king and we see there's an intensity and there's an urgency that describe his efforts in being the leader God had called him to be. And as we face the new year, we ask, Lord, what practical actions or changes should I make to better do Your will and to please You? To fulfill my spiritual duty and responsibility to make lasting progress in my spiritual life and my role. In my role. For some people, it might be really coming and getting saved. For others, it might be making a real, fresh commitment to God and getting serious with God personally. For others, it might be working on their consistency. For others, it might be finding their place of service. For others, it might be having an honest assessment of my home and maybe there are things there that God is not pleased with and that there needs to be some changes, that there needs to be some some cleansing. Or maybe there's just something in me that clung through the year. I got an attitude. Through the year, something hit me and it needs to be addressed before it gets worse. But I approach the Lord not only saying, Lord, show me in my life what needs to be addressed, but then, Lord, give me the grace to address it. Not just to sweep it, not just to ignore it, not just to make believe it doesn't exist, but, oh God, help me to see. And then, Lord, help me to respond that it might be changed. This young king, he was a man of tenacious purpose. Do you understand your purpose as a parent? Do you remember the oath you took when you dedicated your children to the Lord and what you said before God and man? Do we recognize our purpose as husbands and our purpose as wives, our purpose as leaders in the local body? I understand my purpose and then I must tenaciously and with great determination reach towards that purpose and give my very all to fulfill the purpose that heaven has placed upon me. But then secondly, I have to be able to look at myself and my family and my surroundings with a reality and an honesty but then, not, not just so it overwhelms me, not just so it frustrates me, but so God Almighty can give me a strategy and a plan. And by faith and obedience to that plan, there can be a change. There can be a healing. There can be a renewing. Things don't have to stay the way they are. We serve Him who is a restorer and a reviver and a redeemer. And He says, if you'll let me, you can reclaim what's been stolen. You can see restored what's been done. But first, I recognize something's not what it ought to be. And then I say, Lord, show me. What would you have me to do to see your blessing flow one more time? This young king, the third attribute we see is that he worked with others. And this is important. He worked with others. He recognized that he couldn't be a lone ranger. He understood there was a need to lock arms. With others, there was a combined effort. He availed himself to other gifts and other wisdoms. We see in chapter 29, verses 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, how he, how he called with the, he brought in the priest and the Levites. He was a king, but even a king needs help. 
He was a strong man, but even a strong man can't do it all by yourself. John Wayne's in the movies, amen? I mean, the Lone Ranger had Tonto. We're not made to to do it all alone. (laughs) He brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them in the square on the east side. And Then he said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves now. Consecrate the God of your fathers. Remove the defilement. Let's work together in this. We need your wisdom in this. There's some things you're going to do better than me. But here's our goal. This is what we have to accomplish. Every man at their battle stations. You see, number one, he rallied the troops. And he recognized his own limitations. We'll never get to where we need to be if we don't recognize our own limitations and lock arms with others that can fill in those limitations. Alex Haley, the great author that wrote the book Roots, he used to have a poster in his office of a turtle on top of a fence post. And so when anyone walked in, he could say that, that, that reminds me. I got where I got, not by myself. But see, a turtle can't get on top of a fence post unless someone helps him. You don't, you get, someone's got to help him. And he real, that reminds me, whatever I got in life, I didn't get here without help from someone along the way. And you know, that's how God looks at all of our lives. That's how God looks spiritually and naturally. He realizes, the young king realizes, he needed others to help make the necessary reforms in the nation and to achieve what God had stirred in his heart. And your family needs the family. My family needs the family. It's the way the great divine designer designed it. Romans 12, 4 and 5. Romans 12, 4 and 5. It speaks about the importance of working with others, recognizing this is how God intended it and ordained it. You know what I mean? It's like you ever try to fix, I don't try to fix a lot of things I've learned a long time ago. It's a lot of waste of time. I just find someone to help me. But, but, but when you ever try to, <laughs> you take someone, Leo gonna do it in 10 minutes and I've been there about an hour, lost my victory twice. So I just learned a long time ago, just, just calling someone that knows what they're doing. Amen. Man's gotta know his limitations. Alright. And, and, but what you you recognize, you recognize, have you ever tried to fix something? Because you thought you knew how to do it. And then finally after you get frustrated and just about again, you're losing your song, you're losing, you know, you finally say, give me those crazy directions. Where'd you put that? Who threw that out? And you find it and you found out, oh my big dummy, I've been doing it all wrong. If I would have turned left instead of right, I could have got this thing done in about seven minutes. And instead, here I am thinking I undid it and I, oh Lord. Well, it's the same thing in life. When we recognize the divine designer, the Almighty, has made us to, to work together, has made us to need one another, when we recognize that and avail ourselves to that, things get a whole lot easier. Amen? I can work against the intended divine design, or I can, you know, work with it, and things are a whole lot easier. I learned a long time, things are easier working with God. Amen? Things are just easier. Uncle, uncle, uncle. And I don't, let me tell you a secret. Don't tell anyone. There are some things I thought I had a better idea than God. Amen. There are times I thought I knew this ought to work this way and God said the other way. So even at times I might not agree with them. I've learned just to submit to them. There might be times I didn't quite, I don't think I'd do it that way. As if, I, you know, like I'm going to tell him what to do. But I just learned a long time ago. Sometimes I still can't figure it out. But I said, Lord, I'm just going to save myself to knock on the head and... I'm just going to do it your way and cry uncle and let things work out good. But they work out when you get in divine alignment with the divine designer. That's why we got such a, I'm going off, but that's why we got such a confused world today. You cannot throw out the design of the divine designer and expect anything to work. 
That's why there's such a spirit of confusion all over the world today. If you don't know a boy, don't know if he's a boy or a girl. It's a spirit of confusion from the pit of hell. It's attacking, it's attacking, it's attacking. I'm not understanding. It's simple. When the designer has declared easily, this is this and this is that. And if you walk in my ways, you can enjoy blessing and fulfillment and satisfaction. But you can't run your car on water. You have to know what causes it to run. You can't run your soul on things that are not from God. You cannot find that fulfillment and that satisfaction from things that the Almighty said, that's not how I made you. And you can change it. You can, you can get the bottle of water and say gasoline, high petrol, and put it in all you want. Not going to run that car. You can call it what you want. If it's not the real deal, it's not going to happen. Whew. I'm getting back on my notes now. All right. <laughs> this young king recognized that if I'm going to be the instrument, if I'm going to be the leader God's called me to be, I need people's help. I'll tell you, my, my dad, my dad, you know, retired from the gun factory, Remington Arms. So you guys have a Remington rifle. That's where I'm from, upstate New York. The factory's there, the original Remingtons, 1800s. They, they, that's where I'm from. And he worked about 30 years there. And so my, my dad was not, he, he, would, he would hate to speak in public. Like I said, give mom the microphone, you might not get it back. But dad, dad, dad you know, she just, she go on. <laughs> but um, um, don't tell her I said that. But, uh, <laughs> But dad, not dad, 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 he's, he'd be, he'd be mowing the yard. He'd be picking up the grounds. He'd be setting up chairs. He loved that. He, 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 he'd be, he'd be with the guys on Monday mornings and Thursday. He'd be there just waiting for Monday to come because he couldn't wait to get out and pick up trash and clean the yard of the guys. That's my dad. That's dad. But he don't want to speak. Or he don't want, you know, he don't want. But one thing, my, my dad understood to raise his boys for the Lord, he needed the help of the local church. So one thing Dad always did, he'd get up. Our church was, you know, next town over, about five, six miles away. He'd get up and make sure me and my brother never missed Sunday school. I mean, from the time I'm this high. I've memorized every verse week after week from kindergarten up. You know, again, Mom's in there, Aquanet, you know, she's doing the thing. And so she didn't get to adult Sunday school. She's fixing everything, you know what I mean? But Dad made sure, he made sure. See, my dad, he wasn't going to teach. He didn't teach that way. He taught by example. He taught, he coached our team. He did all that, but he wasn't going to sit down and give me a power. That wasn't, that wasn't him. Amen? He's going to be the long arm of discipline when you know needed to come out. He's real good at that. He got straight A's right there, brother, I'll tell you. But he recognized... If I'm going to fulfill my role as leader in the house, I need some help. And so I'm going to make sure they get there to where the teachers are. I'm going to make sure they get there where the other role models are. And he never missed. He'd drive us over, drop us off, go back home, get mom, then they go to church. By that time, we're coming out of Sunday school and we all sit together. He recognized if I'm going to fulfill my role as leader, I need to lock arms with the other helps that God has put in the kingdom. Amen? Paul writes, just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. My arm is not a knee. My foot is not an ear. Amen? I don't hear with my foot. I, I, I don't see with my knee. Amen? Everything has a function. I, I'm glad all the functions, when a function's not working, it brings us problems, doesn't it? Yeah. 
even things you don't think about a lot and you don't applaud a lot, but you stub that big toe this afternoon, and all of a sudden you're going to start thinking, man, I kind of like it when a big toe can actually, you know. All right? So we recognize that. But what's he say next? Verse 5, so in Christ, in the same way, one body, but different members, different functions, different purposes. If I'm going to pick up something, I need an eye to see it. I need a hand to reach for it. I need legs to walk over to it. Terrible thing when part of the body doesn't function. The rest of the body begins to pay a price for it. Isn't that right? So in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. Think uh, the King James might say, we are members one of another. And so if I'm going to fulfill my role, like King Hezekiah recognized, there's others I'm going to need to lock arms with. Amen? We, we didn't have Royal Rangers. We had Boys Brigade. Boys Brigade. But I remember those good times, eight, nine years old. Boys Brigade. Learning the Scriptures and then learn how to shoot the twenty-two, And then learning the Scripture and then learn how to set that fire. Amen. I mean, just, you know, the boys love that stuff. You know, we learned, oh, we did so much. Uh, but again, it was another function. I learned. Okay. King Hezekiah. Glory to God. Glory to God. This young king worked with others. King Hezekiah. In number four, King Hezekiah. Not only was he a man of tenacious purpose, understand your purpose and give yourself wholeheartedly to it. Understand your purpose as a parent, as a spouse, as a leader in a local church. Understand your purpose and give yourself wholeheartedly to it. Secondly, um, honestly assess situations and act. Amen? Honestly assess situations. The holidays are over. Amen? I can't go blaming all my clothes for shrinking. That wouldn't be right, would it? I mean, that wouldn't be an honest assessment of what went on, isn't it? i got to be honest. I ate like a pig for about three, four, five days. And, you know, and that kills about two months worth of watching it. Amen. I watch it go the other way. But I have to have an honest assessment if I'm going to be honestly and accurately be able to address it and to change it. So I can't blame world for everything if the assessment is, you know what, maybe I need to get things right. The first thing the sinner has to do is say what? I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Before anything else in my life is going to change, my heart's got to change, and I've got to give myself to Christ, and then we begin to. All right. Number three, again, he, 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 wasn't, he understood he wasn't meant to go it alone, and neither are you, neither am I. Avail yourself. Avail yourself. But number four, Hezekiah was a man of integrity and zeal. First, he made sure he, he was right. The first person I've got to lead is who? Me. No sense in trying to lead you if I can't lead me. No sense in trying to lead my family if I can't lead myself. So he was a man of integrity and zeal. He was not just Kesara, Sarah, you know. He understood his role and he gave himself wholeheartedly to it. He led himself, then he led others. Second Chronicles 29 and 2, the, the commentary is he was like David. What a beautiful commentary. He did. Here's the commentary of this young man's life. Wouldn't this be nice on a headstone? He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just like his ancestor, King David, had done. 
That's pretty good. David was a man after God's own heart. So it's pretty good when the Bible says, you know what? You're serving God like David did wholeheartedly. Look at 2 Chronicles 31 and 21. It gives a summary of the life of this young king. Again, here's another good thing to say at the end of our days. And everything that he undertook in the surface of God, service of God's temple and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly with all of his heart. And so he prospered. Oh, wow. It's not enough just to know what I need to do. It's not just enough to go through the motions in doing it. God says, give it your best effort. Give it a quality effort. Amen? I tell you, if you get serious with God, God will get serious with you. And it's a beautiful thing when that happens. And look at Colossians 3 and 23. This is a New Testament verse that we can look at together. And it says, whatever you do, and you write your name in some of these verses, Joe, whatever you do, whether it's be a husband, be a father, be a pastor, be a neighbor, be a worker. Whatever you do, you do it heartily, wholeheartedly. Do it with qu- proper effort as to the Lord and not to men. Amen? Amen? All right. And sometimes I say you can be working under a boss that's not the greatest boss in the world. But work that job as unto the Lord. And watch God use your life in that, in that situation. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Uh, glory to God. I'm going to just read these next thoughts off. And then tonight, we'll look at some verses tonight um, because this should have been a two-parter, but it's not. That was the characteristic of the leader. Now, notice the conditions of the time. And it's important to recognize the conditions of the time because I want you to know it's never too bad to see Jesus turn things around. It's never too bad in a situation where someone will rise up and say, God, I'll give you my all. That God would not work through that humility and that surrender to minister grace and restoration to a life. But you see in verse 7 all four things that really speak to us about the time or the condition that Hezekiah rose up in. But sometimes people say, I'd like to make a change, but things are so bad. Things are beyond hope. I want you to know things are never beyond hope. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Glory be to His name. He, he resurrected old Lazarus. He can resurrect your home. He resurrected old Lazarus. He can resurrect your broken heart. He resurrected Lazarus. He can set you you free and work in that situation and see things restored for the glory of God if you'll work with them. But we see number one in verse seven, it, the Bible says the doors were closed. The doors, they shut the doors. The doors were closed. That means God, God's house was no, no, no going to church, no access to God, no, no service, no, no attendance, no praise. Doors were closed. And then it says the lamps are out and the lamps speak of the light of God's word. The lamps speak of the witness to the world. The light was out. The Word of God was no longer being followed and honored. How could anyone have a blessing if they're not following? No burning of incense. Incense, the Bible teaches us, and we'll look up these Scriptures tonight, uh, of our prayers reaching the throne of God. The prayers were not going up to the throne. And that door is shut. And the light is off. And there's no longer incense. No one's drawing near and seeking God. How can there be a blessing without a seeking of God? How can there be a breakthrough without a seeking of God? How can there be a restoration without a seeking of God? And the Bible says that they did not present any burnt offerings. Burnt offerings. The, all the offerings are going to speak of Jesus in one way or the other, but, but the burnt offering speaks of the consecration and devotion of the people. You'd burn that whole thing. Whole consumed. 
And it speaks of our lives. Saying, Lord, I'm not just going to be religious. I just don't play religious games. I'm going to be sincere and serious. And Lord, I'm going to serve you with all my might. And that had stopped in the nation. And once that stops, it's just a gradual decline into where they fell. Now notice these things. The third point, and again, I'm just going to talk you through it. We'll look at verses tonight. The carrying out of the revival. There was the characteristic of the leader. And God's calling us to be leaders. God's calling us in our homes and our churches and our to be leaders. But there was the condition of the time. Don't you ever think your condition is so bad that God cannot work something wonderful in it because God is able. But number three, notice the carrying out of the revival. What were the characteristics? What were the things that actually took place once revival hit? And note these six things. And we have many verses for each one. We can't get to them. We'll do that tonight. But I want you to see the things on one hand. that These things are not present in a life. They speak of conditions of backsliding. On the other hand, when you see these things beginning to really stir up, they're a sign of the fruit of revival. Number one, revival is characterized by a return to the sanctuary. They open the doors again. A return to the sanctuary where there's ministering unto the Lord and ministering from the Lord. And we can look up the Scriptures tonight. Number two, revival is characterized not only by um, a return to the sanctuary, but a return to the Scripture. And what you'll notice if you go through chapter 29, 30, and 31 over and over, according to the word of the Lord, according to the law of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, in lives and homes and churches that enter into a season of true revival and restoration, they return to the word of God. And the Bible again becomes the ruling and governing of their beliefs and of their behavior. Number three, not only was there return to the sanctuary, a return to the Scripture, there was a return to sanctification. Because as we read over and over, cleanse it. Levites, clear out the junk. Cleanse it out. You know, when we get right with God, we find out while we were away from God, we allowed a few things in this temple that need to get out of there. Amen? We allowed a few things to take place that shouldn't have been there. And there's a cleansing or there's a sanctification. Number four, there's a return to the worship or the centrality of salvation. Well, you notice in verse chapter 30 that Hezekiah reinstituted the Passover that no one had done in hundreds and hundreds of years. And we know the Passover speaks of the Lamb of God slain. He got him back to the cross and back to the blood. And when a life really gets back right with God, they're going to start to um, appreciate and celebrate and demonstrate their love for the Lord Jesus and what He did on the cross and the power of His blood. You know when someone really gets right with God, the old, oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me. And all of a sudden, there's a beautiful... Um, number five, number five, there's a return to singing. There's great joy. We, well, we can read it. We can read it tonight. But when they begin... You know, when your sins get forgiven and that burden gets lifted and you know things are right and God's going to start working again, there is joy. Can you say amen? There's something wonderful that expresses... Our, when we know finally that burden, the guilt and shame are gone and all things are new. Man, there is joy. There is a celebration. There's singing. There's praise. We'll look at that. And then lastly... In Interesting. Um, in fact, you can put it up there. Um, chapter chapter thirty one and verses seven and eight. Chapter thirty one, and this is the last one. And there's a return to stewardship. These are signs of revival. When people get revived, the, the sanctuary and the scripture, amen, and the cross. You see, and joy and, and the stewardship. 
and the sanctification. And, and this, is, this is interesting. It's just, I just like the phrase of it. The phrase of it. Um, and they begin doing this in the third month, finish the seventh month. Go ahead of that verse, verse 8. Here it is. And when Hezekiah and his specials came and saw, look at that word, saw the, the heaps. Isn't that interesting? Saw the heaps. What happened? Once the nation got revived and they wanted to get back to the house of God and get back to faithfully serving God, they all started bringing the offerings to clean up the mess and, and, and to take care of the priest. And they brought so much. Isn't it true, though, when a person gets saved, there's something in your heart that just wants to give back to God. There's something that is so appreciative. It's like a natural response. When someone's good to you in the natural, you naturally want to bless them in return. And this, but I love the word, and saw the heaps. The offerings are so big, they had to throw away that little, that little chicken, chicken thing we passed around, right? That little, that little plate. They said, forget the plate. I mean, they needed buckets and then some, but the heaps that came in. And, and, you know, you can look at the context of finances or anything else, but I'll tell you one thing. When things get right between a person and God, there is a natural response in the heart of man that wants to give back to God and honor God. It's called gratitude and the expression of thanksgiving. Amen. We're going to close. Tonight, we'll look up the Scriptures for all those. We'll go deeper into all those. But here's our thought. Here's our thought. Hezekiah was an instrument of righteousness. And God is looking for instruments and leaders in homes. The homes. The church is going to go as good as really the home is going to go, but we're made up of families. And God's looking for leaders in the home that will lead by example, lead by demonstration, etc. But this morning when we come to the altar, let's think of this. May the example of King Hezekiah inspire all of us to be the spiritual leaders and examples God wants us to be. Are we going to be perfect? No way, because we're not. But if we'll give God our proper effort, He says, I'll use that. He, he uses human instruments or all of us would be disqualified. But our first thought today as we close, may the example of this young king inspire us to be the leaders that God wants us to be in our homes and in our surroundings. But secondly, we pray, may the example of this revival of what King Hezekiah ignited, may the example of this revival remind me of the things I must faithfully guard and exercise in my life. We saw the things that characterized the downfall of the nation. Then we saw the things that brought the glory of God back. Let me recognize those things and remind myself, these are the things I must look out for these are the things I must really encourage in my life and in my family. Now, I'm going to pray the final prayer. We're going to sing the final song. And I just we open the altar as we always do. If you need prayer, you just want to come and pray, come. If you're here today and things aren't right between you and the Lord, well, get things right. The arms of Jesus are open wide. And He's a God of new beginnings. And if you'll come and mean business, He'll accept you and He'll receive you and He'll cleanse you and He'll begin this day to do something fresh and beautiful in your life. For the rest of us, let's just be reminded of the responsibility we have as leaders in our lives. That we are called to inspire those around us for godliness and for holiness and for consistent Christian living. And let's take that responsibility seriously 
and go after it wholeheartedly. Can you say amen? Please stand with me as we pray. Father, we want to thank you for the example of King Hezekiah. This young king, only in his 20s, but he recognized that things were not right. And he had the desire and he had the moral courage to stand and lead the charge to see things changed, to see those negative things overcome and see the beautiful, positive things of righteousness established. And Lord, we just pray as as husbands, as wives, as heads of homes, as heads of churches in our communities, etc. Lord, help us to be the leaders you want us to be. Help us to understand that great responsibility we have to lead those that you've entrusted to our lives. To lead by the example of our lives. To lead by our commitment to the Word of God. That those under our authority would also walk in that. So, Father, give us the ability to see the things that we need to address in this coming year. If there's things within our hearts, Lord, help us. Show us, Lord, and give us the grace to deal with them properly and victoriously. If there's things we need to begin doing, Lord, then show us, Lord. Give us a strategy, Lord, that we might see your hand of blessing really work in our lives. Father, help us to guard the things that are precious for eternity's sake. Help us to honor the things you've called us to honor. Help us to make a priority the things you've called us to make a priority. Help us to remember, Lord, we're part of the family of God. We need one another. You made it that way. Help us to appreciate each other. Help us to be there for one another. Show us how to lock arms and use each other. That together, we might fulfill the purpose you've placed upon our lives. Now, Father, as we open this altar, I just pray that you would draw people. If there's anyone here today, they're not where they need to be. Lord, give them the grace just to come and respond, to call on your name, to receive your cleansing, to receive a new beginning. Anyone here today, Lord, maybe they're saved, but they haven't been carrying out their role. and They know it. And they want to make a fresh commitment, Lord, to be the leader you've called them and made them to be. Then, Lord, just... Help that man or that woman just to respond and make that fresh commitment that they begin to walk in the fullness of their divine purpose. Come now, O God. Refresh anyone that's weary. Heal anyone that's hurting. Inspire all of our faith. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. Let's sing this one time through before you go. If you need prayer, please come. Don't wait. Come and let God touch your life.